hoy, ladies and gentlemen. I am John Miller, and welcome back to Everybody Trades. If you happen to be like me and you live in mid-Missouri, the central part of our great state called Missouri, then you're well aware that we've had quite the level of tornado activity. And of course, we're not alone. If you're listening to this anywhere else in the country, surely you're aware of the frightening amounts of tornadic activity that we've had in the Midwest over these last few weeks. But frankly, even if you don't live in that area of the country, what we're going to discuss today, specifically windmills, wind farms as they're often called, and also renewable energy. So I think this is a topic that is applicable to anyone within the sound of my voice. But with that said, one of the reasons that this particular topic has piqued my interest at the moment is that there is a proposed massive wind farm just to the northwest of Columbia, Missouri. And if you go to my Instagram page, go to Instagram.com slash Everybody Trades, and you will see an image put up by the Columbia, Missouri in a graphic in their newspaper that I thought was incredibly telling. You see, if you look at the size of this proposed 30,000-acre wind farm, and by the way, just really quick, the phrase wind farm, totally inaccurate. There's no farming being done. It is a power plant. That is a wind power plant, okay? I don't like evasive language. If you've listened to this show for a while, you know the one thing I do not like is evasive language. But with that being said, the real point here is, again, if you go to my Instagram page, at Everybody Trades, you'll see the image I'm talking about here. And the source is, in fact, from the company that plans to develop said wind power plant. And if you see how big it is, it spans partial part of Boone County, part of Howard County, and a small part of the northeast corner of Cooper County. But what's really interesting, if you look at that thing, this proposed area is bigger than the city limits of Columbia, just to give you some idea. And Harrisburg, Missouri, its city limits are right in the middle of this whole thing. So why I really thought of this the other day, of course, getting back to the tornadoes, fortunately Harrisburg was spared any sort of major damage, but at one point, before, right before I went to bed and unfortunately then woke up to realize that Jefferson City, among other places, Eldon, Missouri, had been hit really hard by tornadoes. But fortunately, Harrisburg had been spared. But one thing I was thinking is, boy, I sure am glad that we don't have this massive wind farm out there right now for out in Harrisburg or wherever these tornadoes might have hit as to damage these wind farms, these wind power plants, these windmills, and cause their gigantic 500-foot blades and larger to go flying in the air and quite easily could kill, maim, and destroy all kinds of property. I mean, some serious some serious risk there. Those windmills, these huge windmills that are often, the proposed ones in Missouri are going to be taller than the Statue of Liberty for some context. But quite honestly, the safety aspect of windmills, of wind power plants, is actually pretty far down on my list of concerns there. Because if you really think about it, obviously we've had forms of energy that aren't safe for centuries, right? For at least at least since the early 1900s, which is that first decade, at least according to the United States government, their own numbers, from 1900 to 1909, there was something like 3,900 deaths 
as a result from coal mining. So obviously, just to use that as an example and to compare it to nuclear, or I'm sorry, to compare it to wind power, you might say, okay, yeah, sure, there is no perfectly safe form of energy, but certainly wind power is a lot safer than coal power. Now that I can't disagree with. That's a really tough thing to disagree with, with all the data that we have. But here's another thing that is also impossible to disagree with. If you want to get really, really technical, there is no such thing as renewable energy. Not in a very literal sense, okay? Because here's the deal. Energy exists in two ways. It either flows or it stores. So therefore, even if you take solar energy, if you take the sun, all the sun really is is just this gigantic ball of energy for for our purposes, okay? But even the sun is limited. Even we know that the sun at some point is going to burn out. So therefore, even that is not renewable energy. It's just a gigantic stored form of energy. Another way to think about it is, say energy is like a river. Well, a river flows and stores. Now, how do you store a river? Well, you create a dam, right? That's how hydroelectric energy works. So indeed, solar panels and also your windmill power plants, your any types of windmills, those are also things that store the energy of the wind, for instance. Now, while wind and solar energy are stores of energy. Windmills, solar panels, they store energy just like coal does, just like gasoline does, and just like nuclear energy does. But the difference between those two so-called forms of renewable energy that have become popular in our modern days is that they are far, far, far less efficient and far less dense than their coal, gasoline, and nuclear counterparts. And really, what could be more obvious when you think about it? If wind energy, and similarly solar, requires and possibly an even more massive amount of acreage, but both of these things require massive, massive amounts of land to actually work, insofar as that they do work. Again, here in Boone County, here in Howard County, mid-Missouri, We're talking about a 30,000-square-acre piece of land that, again, is bigger than the city limits of Columbia. Whereas if you have a truck or a car, whatever it might be, you can put 15, 20 gallons of gasoline into your car and you can go 500 miles. You know, again, we're talking about density of energy. There's just no comparison there. And then if you go even further, you see chemical energy, which is everything from wood to crude oil to gasoline to coal, consists essentially of playing with electrons, changing their energy state, right? You light something on fire, it changes its energy state, obviously. That's chemistry. But see, with nuclear energy, the big deal was is that people figured out that there's actually far more energy in the nucleus of the atom, how crazy is that, right? That's a hard thing to wrap your mind around unless you're a big chemistry buff, which, frankly, I am not. Therefore, then, nuclear energy produces such a tiny, tiny footprint compared to wind and solar, and even compared to all the other ones, too. Again, the other 
well, not other forms of chemical energy, but compared to chemical energy, which is much more efficient, again, than solar and wind, well, nuclear is far, 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 far more efficient than even your forms of chemical energy. Again, mid-Missourians, I got to get back to that number. It's 30,000 acres, all right? Now, compare that to the Callaway Nuclear Plant in Portland, Missouri, near Mocaine. We all know that thing, right, if you're in this area? How often do you even notice that particular plant? Well, that is about 2,700 acres. The Callaway Nuclear Plant is less than 10% the size of this proposed wind farm, this wind power plant. That's a huge difference, don't you think? And not only that, the nuclear plant is actually more environmentally friendly. Oh, you didn't see that one coming, did you? Well, don't take it from me. Take it from the Audubon Society. Yes, that group of environmental activists who focuses on birds and bird health. Well, here's what they called windmills. They called them Condor Cuisinarts. Yes, and they chose the word they chose condors quite specifically because in California, among other places, the condor is a protected species of bird, just like the bald eagle. But it seems like these windmills, if you if you murder a bald eagle, say I go out and kill a bald eagle, if I shoot it with a gun, I'm going to go to jail if the authorities find out about it. But apparently, if your windmill chops up a bunch of rare birds into tiny bits, well, you get a waiver because you're saving the planet, apparently. Not for the birds, but for somebody, I guess. For humans, supposedly, future humans. Well, again, I guess I guess I should now get even further into the environmental thing. If we're going to go into the, the future of the planet and global warming, well, again, nuclear power does not emit carbon dioxide. It does not emit carbon. So therefore, if you want to save the planet from man-made carbon emissions, again, nuclear power, that's it. That's the key. We found, we found the problem. We found the solution to the problem. You see, windmills, oh boy, windmills and solar. It's just a, it's an, it's a, it's chasing after a problem that we've already solved. And again, the solution is called nuclear power. Now the pushback from what I'm saying here is going to be pretty obvious, right? Especially if you've been watching the HBO miniseries Chernobyl this past few weeks. But here's the thing. Chernobyl, while quite easily the worst nuclear disaster in human history, I don't believe can be fairly blamed on nuclear power itself. And here's why. When the Chernobyl incident happened in 1986, the Soviet Union was very much on the verge of collapse. And in fact, it would be collapsed within about five years or so. So yeah, not only did the Soviet Union have problems managing virtually everything in its society based on its top-down government control, command and control, should it really be any surprise that they couldn't manage their own nuclear plants as well? I would think it would be, it would be surprising if the USSR could have managed its nuclear plants well. That would have been the surprise. So if you accept my premise that Chernobyl was much, much, much more a result of Soviet mismanagement than anything inherently wrong with nuclear power, 
Okay, let's go to the other two major incidents. And there really have only been three. So let's go to the other two major incidents in human history involving nuclear reactors. The only one that ever happened in the United States was in the late 1970s, Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania. Now, based on all of my research, it isn't clear to me that anyone actually died from radiation in the aftermath of Three Mile Island. Now, am I sitting here telling you, well, that was no big deal? Not necessarily. It cost apparently about a billion dollars to clean the whole thing up. I'm sure that there were problems there. But again, we're not in a world where, you know, again, ask the, ask the condors about the Cuisinart. We're not in a world where there is no danger-free energy, okay? But again, not seeing a lot of actual deaths that are really attributable to Three Mile Island. And that is the last and only nuclear meltdown in U.S. history, and it was 40 years ago. So then we move on to Japan a few years ago, 2011, Fukushima. Again, this is the third of three actual meltdowns in world nuclear history. Now, this is just according to Wikipedia, but according to them, one person died from radiation in this. Two workers were taken to hospitals with radiation burns. And 37 other people had physical injuries as well. Now, again, not a, not a great deal. You, you never want to have a nuclear meltdown, which defined as radiation seeping out in some way, in some excessive way, right? I got it. But again, can we maybe make the, maybe perhaps the broader lesson here is that maybe nuclear buildings, nuclear facilities shouldn't be in earthquake country. Because we, we know one thing about Japan, it's that they've had earthquakes for centuries. It's part of, their, part of their environment, for sure. And so, okay, perhaps we shouldn't have nuclear facilities there. All right, we as human beings can learn about these things. So again, just once again for some more context, there are 450 approximately nuclear reactors operating around the world. And in addition to that, there's about 140 nuclear-powered ships that have accumulated over 12,000 reactor years of safe marine operation. Now, if nuclear power is so unstable, it's so dangerous, how is it that these ships have been able to go across the ocean for 12,000 total reactor years and nothing ever happens? And again, if you're the man-made climate change type, you ever been down to the Lake of the Ozarks? You ever been on a boat of any kind, Table Rock Lake, anything? You know how expensive and inefficient it is to operate a boat when it comes to just pouring gasoline into it? See, boats are nothing but drag. It's not like rolling, around, rolling on some wheels on asphalt. No, you're pushing against that water at all times just to go... 20, 30 miles an hour, you're going to be using 10 times the amount of fuel you would in a car, I'd say at least. You know, I don't have that exact number in front of me, but just to make the point, boats are really, 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 really energy inefficient. If you think cars are bad, whoo, boy, those things are real bad. So basically, my point is if you're worried about carbon emissions, if you're worried about man-made global warming, you should be pushing hard as hell for nuclear power. And finally, just to 
wrap up the nuclear bit. I know that obviously a lot of people are going to be worried about nuclear waste as well. Well, here's something that's true. It turns out the United States is the only country that does not reuse its nuclear waste. See, it turns out, again, the radioactive part of nuclear waste, the part that's actually dangerous, consists of only about 5% of the byproduct of nuclear energy. But of that 5%, about half is uranium and plutonium, and so it can be recycled into different kinds of fuel, specifically mixed oxide fuel, which is exactly what people in France have been doing for at least 25 years now, about a quarter of a century. See, they keep all their waste in what's basically the size of my high school basketball gymnasium under their La Hague nuclear facility. So if you think about it proportionally then, essentially France is producing about one-fiftieth of the waste that it produ- that the United States produces on its one-to-one comparison of energy. Again, proportionally, France is producing one-fiftieth of the waste. So why are we the only ones who don't use it? Well, apparently nuclear propaganda back in the 70s, the 80s, even going on through The Simpsons, I hate to say it, which is one of my favorite shows of all time, All the Mr. Burns stuff, all the three-eyed fish, all that stuff has obviously not been helpful. It has not been helpful for the public conscious when it comes to nuclear energy and the safety, the relative safety problems that it presents itself. But the reality is, is nuclear energy is the cleanest, most efficient energy we have, and it's really by a country mile, and it's actually really, really relatively safe. Frankly, anybody tells you any different they're just not they're not up to date. They're not right. They're wrong, to put it more succinctly. But the real reason I'm here, again, is to tell all of you in Harrisburg and the surrounding areas that if you have any power, any political power, any sway, a voice, a vote, whatever it might be, you need to speak out against this because it's not just that it's inefficient going to be a wildly inefficient form of energy that we don't in fact need see missouri has a nuclear plant let's get our energy from that hey old callaway what's up you see wind power is not going to do anything for us the using the university of missouri set up its test windmill down there by stadium grill on stadium boulevard by the football stadium does that thing ever move i realize it was never meant to power the entire campus but i also think it was a propaganda vehicle as well as being a research thing see that windmill is not nearly as big as the ones that you will potentially see in harrisburg and the surrounding areas so and again i'm not an expert i've never lived next to one of these windmills but if you talk to people that do they'll tell you that they don't like it at all that they're loud that they're ugly that there is often a light flicker that they produce. When those, when those windmills are really going fast and the sun's behind them, it causes a flicker of light that actually bothers a lot of people, gives them headaches and stuff. Now, you can sit here and tell me. I can, I can hear the devil's advocate now. By the way, the devil doesn't need an advocate. My buddy just taught me that. But seriously, I can hear people now pushing back against that and saying, oh, that's all, that's all overblown. Oh, that's not really true. Yada, yada, yada. Well, it may not be true to you, 
But that's easy to say when you're not living right next to it, right? To me, that gets into the whole idea of homesteading, which is essentially when people say, whether it's about nuclear power or wind power, we all want power, right? Any kind of power plant. But we don't want it, the old argument goes, not in my backyard, right? Nobody wants it in my backyard. Well, as much as some people would say, well, that's so childish, you want the energy, but you don't want it in your backyard, I don't think it is childish. I think it's homesteading is what it is. Now, you see, it'd be childish if you moved into, if you moved in next to a power plant and said, hey, what's up with this? Then you'd be a child. But if you've already, if you're there first, and suddenly, take take an airport, for instance. Obviously, living next to an airport would be incredibly obnoxious. That would be noise-inducing. It would be noise pollution, if you will. Well, it would be okay if you moved in next to the airport. You wouldn't have much of a complaint, would you? Because you'd know what you were getting yourself into. But if you had bought a house with no knowledge of any airport coming in next to you, and all of a sudden, that is impacting your property in terms of noise pollution. You can't sleep. You can't have a nice day. This is not the property that you paid for. Well, that's a problem. So if you're going to homestead something like a power plant, you're going to need a lot of area. So if you're going to properly homestead a wind farm to get it away from all of civilization, all from any property owners who might actually complain without using eminent domain to just essentially trample their property rights, to trample their natural rights to their own homesteaded property. I just think that's wrong. And most of all, I just would encourage everybody in the Harrisburg area, anybody in the mid-Missouri areas within the sound of my voice, the bottom line is do not do this. Do not get suckered by the pro-wind crowd because I promise you they don't know what they're talking about, number one. Number two, they don't care about you or your property. And number three, just as importantly, we've already solved the supposed energy crisis with nuclear. Despite all the propaganda, nuclear is really safe. It's incredibly efficient. And it's the best form of energy that man has ever invented. By far, end of story. So hey, if you think I'm wrong, and I know some of you do, and frankly, I I know I have a good friend out there named Steve who is kind of a sort of an expert on this whole energy thing. It's nuclear energy thing. He goes around and tells people why I'm wrong, I think. Well, if Steve, if you could actually hear this by any chance, I would love to have you on the show. It'd be a really fun discussion. With all that being said, I am going to get out of here on this Friday afternoon. Go take a walk, and I suggest you do the same. Enjoy this nice weather we're having. So, until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Everybody Trades. Everybody Trades.